Welcome to the Debutiful Podcast Feed. This is the first taste reading series where each week I invite an author to read from their new book and answer a few short questions. You can find Debutiful on the internet at debutiful.net and on all social media at Debutiful. Today's guest is a writer, teacher, and occasional translator based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Her fiction has been honored with an NEA Fellowship in Prose, a World Fantasy Award for Short Fiction, and an O. Henry Prize. Her work has been published in journals such as Plowshares, The Uncanny Magazine, Lightspeed, and elsewhere. She received her MFA from the University of Montana, Missoula. Her debut novel, Ink Blood Sister Scribe, is out now. Please welcome Emma Turge. Hey, Emma. How are you doing today? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Um, your book, Ink Blood Sister Scribe, comes out May 30th. It'll be out by the time we are chatting about this. Um, tell readers about what the book is from your perspective. Um, it is an, a grown-up fantasy novel, maybe not to be confused with an adult fantasy novel. Mm -hmm. um, I had some people making some jokes about sex scenes or lack thereof in this <laughs> book. <laughs> um, but it's a grown-up fantasy novel, a contemporary setting about two half-sisters who at the start of the book have not seen one another for 10 years. And they were raised to protect their family's library of magical volumes. Mm -hmm. um, their father dies in the first sentence, so it's not a spoiler, um, after reading one of these books. And uh, the story starts about two years later when something else happens mm -hmm. <laughs> that kicks off a series of events that have the sisters sort of trying to figure out um, how to protect each other and the books. Um, yeah, horrific. and there's also a third point of view character who's uh, in isolation in a fancy house and on the outside of London, um, sort of yeah. wondering if his luxurious life is perhaps more of a gilded cage. Mm -hmm. And those three points of view sort of like all weave together and mayhem ensues, et cetera. <laughs> yeah, definitely. As someone who uh, I, I I'm into fantasy, like I'm into anything, but I don't read mm -hmm. a lot of fantasy per se. And this was a wild ride. And I think I use that <laughs> as like a, I use that a lot, wild ride, but this really was a wild ride. Um, I enjoyed it tremendously. I can't wait for readers to get their hands on it. What part of the book, what will you be reading for us today? I am just going to go traditional and read the prologue. Very cool. Yeah. Well, take it away. I'll be back to ask questions. I have plenty. So uh, go ahead and, uh, Take us into uh, Inkblood Sister Scribe. All right. I'm just going to start right on page one. Abe Calate died in his front yard in late February, beneath a sky so pale it seemed infected. There was a wintry wet snow bite to the still air, and the sprawled open pages of the book at his side had grown slightly damp by the time his daughter Joanna came home and found his body lying in the grass by their long dirt driveway. Abe was on his back, eyes half-opened to that gray sky, mouth slack and his tongue drying blue, one of his hands with its quick-bitten nails draped across his stomach. The other hand was resting on the book, forefinger still pressed to the page as if holding his place. A last smudge of vivid red was slowly fading into the paper, and Abe himself was mushroom-white and oddly shriveled. It was an image Joanna already knew she'd have to fight against forever 
to keep it from supplanting the 24 years worth of living memories that had, in the space of seconds, become more precious to her than anything else in the world. She didn't make a sound when she saw him, only sank to her knees and began to shake. Later, she would think he'd probably come outside because he'd realized what the book was doing and had been struggling to reach the road before he bled out, either to flag down a passing driver to call an ambulance or to spare Joanna from having to heave his body into the bed of her truck and take him up their driveway and past the boundaries of their wards. But at the time, she didn't question why he was outside. She only questioned why he'd brought a book along with him. She had not yet understood that it was the book itself that had killed him. She only understood that its presence was a rupture in one of his cardinal rules, a rule Joanna herself had not yet dreamed of breaking, though she would, eventually. But even more inconceivable than her father letting a book outside the safety of their home was the fact that it was a book Joanna did not recognize. She had spent her entire life caring for their collection and knew every book within it as intimately as one would know a family member, yet the one lying at her father's side was completely unfamiliar in both appearance and in sound. Their other books hummed like summer bees. This book throbbed like unspent thunder, and when she opened the cover, the handwritten words swam in front of her eyes, rearranging themselves every time a letter nearly became clear. In progress. Unreadable. The note Abe had tucked between the pages was perfectly legible, however, despite the shakiness of the hand. He'd used his left. His right hand had been fixed in place as the book drank. Joanna, he had written, I'm sorry. Don't let your mother in. Keep this book safe and away from your blood. I love you so much. Tell Esther. It ended there without punctuation. Joanna would never know if he'd meant to write more, or if he only wanted her to pass on a final message of love to the daughter he hadn't seen in years. But kneeling there on the cold dirt with the book in her hands, she didn't have the wherewithal to think about any of this yet. She could only stare at Abe's lifeless body, try to breathe, and prepare herself for the next steps. End. Thank you so or much for beginning. the prologue. <laughs> yes, the beginning. Um, and speaking of beginnings, I'm curious what came first, the sisters, the library, knowing you wanted a contemporary grown-up fantasy? How did <laughs> What was first, the very first thing? I think the very first thing was the sisters um, in particular. I started futzing around with um, a storyline about seven sisters, actually. It started as kind of a, a my take on a fairy tale, mm -hmm. um, but slowly... Uh, five of those sisters got whittled down <laughs> until there were only two left. And then I had these two magical sisters and I was trying to figure out what to do with them. Um, and I did know that I wanted to write an adult slash grown up um, fantasy novel, a novel that could be read standalone. So, you know, not part of a series mm -hmm. um, and a book that encompassed a lot of the fantasy tropes that I had loved as a younger reader, but sort of updated for mm -hmm. a more, um, mature or you know older let's say mm -hmm. readers yeah, yeah um yeah i i really gravitate towards like family stories um i have an older mm -hmm. sister and we lived together in our 20s um and that magical bond of just like having the same shared experience but becoming either two completely different people or mm -hmm. two of the same people is something that i just love in literature 
mm-hmm. uh, as as the sisters became who they were um did one of them did you find it easier to write one of them yes um i found it very easy to write esther mm-hmm. esther sort of showed up fully herself already um and joanna was much more difficult in part because joanna is super isolated for much of the book so she doesn't have that much to interact with she's in you know two rooms she drives her truck around a little she goes to see her mom Um, but she's in this really isolated rural space in vermont in this kind of decaying house Mm -hmm. um so a lot of her characterization was internal so i really felt like i had to get to know her more than i had to get to know esther who's more of like a a go-getter in some ways. Like she's a lot more of an active character. Um, so Joanna was the hardest character for me to write of the three and Esther yeah. hands down the easiest. For sure. And you mentioned like tropes from your childhood and, and modernizing them or maturing them up a little bit. What mm-hmm. were some, I guess, what was some, what are some tropes you just love in general that made it into the book that didn't make it into the book, but also what were the young fantasy novels that hooked you? So there's like, I guess, two questions. Mm. In that. I'll let you go either way. Yeah, I'll start with the second part of the question, um, young fantasy novels that hooked me. One of my favorite novels was and remains The Golden Compass by Philip Pullman. Mm -hmm. I think the first book in that His Dark Material series is just as close to a perfect novel as you can get. Um, And what else did I love? I loved the um, Enchanted Forest series by Patricia C. Reed. Mm. Uh, Enchanted Forest Chronicles, which was, you know, about a princess who wasn't good at being a princess and so went to hang out with dragons. Um, That's a trope that I love, but have never played with, you know, the princess who doesn't like to princess. Actually, I think I did kind of play with that in this (laughs) book a little bit uh, with the character Nicholas, who's kind of a little princeling who doesn't love to be a princeling necessarily. Mm. Um, And I loved the books Wise Child and Juniper by Monica Furlong, Hmm. which I think are two books that people don't read so much anymore, but had such a huge impact on me as a person. I cannot recommend them strongly enough. Um, They take place sort of at the moment when Christianity was supplanting paganism in Wales uh, and Ireland and Scotland and sort of like in that area Hmm. um, or those areas rather. And there's just all sorts of magic-y vibe tropes that stay with me forever like um weaving a magical cloak to help you become a witch uh things like that um and then to answer your other question tropes that i love um i love the chosen one trope despite Mm -hmm. knowing Mm -hmm. better at this (laughs) this age um i still really love it and i'm super compelled by a storyline not even of a chosen one necessarily but of sort of the reluctant hero um so i definitely tried to play with that idea of the chosen one in this book uh you know who is the chosen one of this book they all are all sort of chosen in their own separate ways um so really there is no chosen one and sort of what does it even mean to be chosen in a certain sense um, I also read a lot of British fantasy growing up, like E. Nesbitt, um, and yeah, just a lot of sort of young adult British fantasy as a kid, Diana Wynne-Jones, mm. and I have always loved just a wretched British orphan. <laughs> so I really wanted to have a wretched British orphan <laughs> in this yeah. book. Um, I love animal companions, so mm-hmm. I sh- mm-hmm. sort of shoehorned some in there. Yeah, things like that. Yeah, and... 
I'm curious, like you have an MFA uh from Montana and Missoula. Um were you writing fantasy throughout your MFA? <laughs> um it's a great question. The answer is no. Mm-hmm. I was not writing fantasy in my MFA. Um and you know a lot of the books that I've mentioned that you've asked me about our fantasy, but mm-hmm. the truth is I read very widely. Sure. I read a lot of literary fiction. Um, I, I like most genres. I like samples from most genres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And in my MFA, I sort of showed up for the first workshop with what I think you would probably call weird fiction or slipstream. Um, so not straight fantasy, but certainly not full realism. Mm-hmm. And through no fault of my professors or classmates, it just became clear pretty quickly that um, that was not the place to to do that. Interesting. Um, yeah. In part because everybody was writing literary realism, and Montana's like very into like Western place based realism. Yeah. So I wanted to, you know, impress my classmates and get validation. So I immediately sort of started to write in that vein. I'm very susceptible to that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and but I don't mind and I'm a bit of a mimic, too. So it sort of was easy to slot myself into that. So I wrote literary realism from the time that I entered my MFA in 2010 to 2017, when mm-hmm. I turned my back on it forever and pivoted <laughs> to yeah. my heart's genre. Yeah, that's interesting. What I was getting at, and maybe I'll just leave it in, was the vibe of maybe you don't write fantasy and MFAs and not necessarily it's a good thing or bad thing or, or I'm just like just from what I've heard it's like oh there's there's certain pockets of what MFA programs all across the country enjoy and mm-hmm. I don't know if I've heard a lot of people say oh yeah I wrote this fantasy novel throughout my MFA yeah I think it's I believe that it's changing a little bit sure yeah but at least you know a decade ago when I got my MFA it was genre was really siloed. Mm -hmm. So there was literary realism and then there was sort of everything else Yeah. in terms of the Academy by which I mean, you know, um, academic institutions. And even now, you know, I love to go to residencies and I apply for a lot of residencies and I've had almost no luck with my speculative work. And so I still use my literary work to apply for grants and residencies Mm -hmm. because I think it makes people take me more seriously, even though I personally am very proud of my speculative short fiction. Um, But there's definitely still that inherent bias, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I agree. And like, I think even like Day Beautiful myself leans, there is a bias in a lot of ways, just because what I personally like to read most. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's not like when books like yours that are build fantasy come across my, you know, inbox, I instantly delete it. It's just takes, <laughs> Thank there's you a lot that. of books out there, you know, and it's just yeah. like what grabs my attention and, and who pitches it and how do they pitch it? I don't know. I'm just rambling. But I, I yeah. Do you feel, I mean, I feel like genres are kind of breaking down as time goes on or we're becoming more accepting of mm-hmm. magical realism, which is always or the or that's complicated actually, term yeah i know that's why like i pause yeah. you know <laughs> becoming more willing to i think yeah i just think genre is breaking down in a good mm-hmm. way do you feel that way do you feel it's like closer or not at all 
I do feel like it's breaking down. Um, and genre itself is such a weird and complicated thing to talk about because it is like you were saying, it's based on taste, yeah. reader taste, but it's also based on marketing. Yeah. So like the market is trying to sell to what they think the reader wants. And so yeah. the reader is reading what the market has sold them. And so it's like a feedback loop sort of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's like kind of hard for me to talk about genre because I fully believe that it exists, but I also see all the ways in which it's sort of manufactured. Um, for sure. But yes, I think those things are breaking down, especially thanks to writers like Carmen Maria Machado yeah. and Ted Chang, these mm-hmm. very smart literary writers who are writing like within the realm of fantasy or science fiction, speculative fiction. Yeah. So I think it's, and everybody is reading fantasy right now it seems like they're reading it they're watching it i turn around there's a new fantasy show on you know (laughs) one of the tvs yeah tv streamings whatever um so i think it's like people like it and enjoy it but it's still there's still that divide between quote-unquote art and Mm quote-unquote entertainment yeah and so that's complicated so the whole thing i don't really have like an answer it's just like sort of complicated but i do think it's breaking down more than it used to (sighs) I mean, I completely agree. It's like I was about when you were talking just about everyone's watching fantasy, it's as bad as I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe is for art. Uh, it, yeah. it, it opened doors to, uh, again, not like, yeah, open mm-hmm. doors for people who don't read fantasy or sci fi totally. or comics to enjoy sci fi, fantasy, and comics. I think Stranger Things is a big part of it too, actually. Just uh, totally. I've been thinking a lot more about it because during the pandemic, I got into Dungeons and Dragons as like my pandemic <gasps> hobby. So it's like one of the, my favorite things right now. Did and you I don't see know the movie? Ha- yeah. And I loved yeah. it. And my, it was and Lady, great. Yeah. And my partner, Lady Day Beautiful, as I call her, has no <laughs> idea about D&D. And she was like, I, she was along for the ride. She was yeah. laughing. Um, yeah. But I don't know if I. I don't know if there was a, wasn't a pandemic one. I don't think I would have gotten D and D because mm-hmm. I didn't have that much time, but I don't know if like, even if there was 10 years ago, I don't know if I would have gotten into D and D, you know, like I just think it's for the best that things are breaking down and hopefully we just are like a good book's a good book. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think I've seen a lot of um, like fantasy tropes making their way into literary fiction or not tropes Mm. necessarily but like fantasy influences i would love to see some of the reverse also like more literary fantasies i can think of a few writers who i'm like wow you are like a sentence level writer like the craft of the sentence is really important in this book which i think you don't always get with fantasy which is not a that's not a value judgment that's just like the truth of style and marketing yeah yeah totally and like what the prose needs to do yeah and i i love like a good literary fantasy like susanna clark's piranesi um Mm. or simon jimenez's the vanished birds those two to me are just standouts of literary Mm -hmm. speculative fiction just sentence by sentence like chef's kiss (laughs) amazing books yeah, definitely. Uh, the Vanished Birds was very good. I, I remember listening it on Day Beautiful when it came mm-hmm. out like two or three years ago at this point. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Yeah. Um, do you, I mean, so you care about sentence structure. It sounds like most writers uh, uh, going into like that balancing, like what fantasy needs and wants for marketable purposes to like what the author and the writer wants. Like, how did you balance the literary and the fantasy in your book? I think it helps that for a long time while writing this book, like at least a year, I was telling myself 
that it didn't have to go anywhere and it wasn't even necessarily a book and it was really like because it was for the pandemic like during the pandemic I was pretty isolated you know as like witnesses to my writing process I had my cat and my housemates Mm -hmm. and like you know a few friends that I was talking to but it felt really freeing I had such a good time writing this book it truly was a blast and I was experimenting with a lot of um like classical not classical but uh like fiction things that I hadn't done before this is gonna sound silly but like plot <laughs> like I've never yeah. <laughs> never really written a plot so I was like I'm just gonna try to write the plottiest book that I can and I'm gonna use all these inspirations from like thrillers and mysteries and you yeah. know did it turn out that way I don't know but it you know like coming from a literary background this is yeah. way beyond my comfort zone in terms of plot <laughs> yeah. um so I was thinking about that. I and I wanted to keep it fun. That was kind of my yeah. big thing because I needed to be having fun while I was yeah. writing it, or else I would stop. Um, so I wanted to to be fun, but again, I'm a sentence by sentence person, so it had to be like pleasurable for me to write as well. Yeah, like on the level of the sentence and the paragraph and the the fun like jigsaw construction of language that I enjoy so much with writing. Yeah. And like looking forward is fantasy or whatever, whatever you want to call it is, is the next work similar, more similar to this or more similar to what you were writing in your MFA program when you first got there? Um, I think it's probably more similar to this. Um, I don't feel called to return to realism mm-hmm. <laughs> anytime mm-hmm. soon. You yeah. know, that might change. I don't want to put an embargo on anything for the rest of my of life, course, but yeah the the new thing that i've been tentatively waiting into working on is definitely um there's magic in it thank you so much to emma for joining the day beautiful podcast to read from her debut novel ink blood sister scribe you can find her on the internet at emma emma emma.com one of my favorite author websites and you can find day beautiful at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at day beautiful as always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful.